All right, this is Dark Days Radio, episode number 120, banned by the U.S. government. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Going pretty great, Mike. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Chig, how do you feel like, how do you feel being a renegade, a renegade banned by the U.S. government? Because as we just found out, Dark Days Radio is now being blocked and banned by the U.S. government. We have a we have a source deep within the government that told us that uh, you can no longer access our shows through their networks. And if you're listening to this, well, you're one one of the select few that still can listen to Darker Days. Welcome to the resistance. Your entire life has been leading up to this moment. That's right. That's right. So, Jay, how, how do you feel about this? How do you feel? You know, it was a long time coming, wasn't it? You know, honestly, I'm surprised it took this long. Uh, we've been on their radar for years and years i'm sure and finally they've just you know lowered the band hammer that's right it's a huge bummer but chig i think to celebrate this why don't we talk about the very famous well-known source book for werewolf the apocalypse project twilight what do you think should we cover that today i'm good with that yeah let's let's get into it yeah cool but before we do that chig why don't we have a little game update what have you been doing lately uh well we my gaming group now has two games that we are playing whoa we have a, we, yeah i know we have a weekly uh star wars age of rebellion game which is super fun nice. and we've also just started uh we've had one session of a twice a month uh cult game which is also Ooh. super duper awesome uh, uh thanks to uh chris for covering that a uh, few episodes back uh, i had a little bit of a leg up in uh getting into that game so yeah, yeah. Tell us all the details. I mean, cult is uh, really popular these days. A lot of people are very excited about it. What are you? Uh, how are you enjoying it? Like, what's been going on in the game? Well, so far we've uh, done a bit of invest uh, investigation into uh, a mysterious death at a uh, a late night rave. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, a lot more role play than I think some of us are used to in my group. Uh, we have a lot of people. Well, we have a couple of people. I'm not going to say a lot in my group who are very uh what's what i'm looking for here system oriented okay yeah and uh the, the light system is uh maybe throwing them for a bit of a loop but uh, i'm really enjoying it and i think that they're enjoying it too it's just different than what we're we're used to okay interesting yeah um i can see that i can definitely see that but once i think you really kind of get into the story and get to the groove of the uh, power by the apocalypse mechanics things are going to be really just kind of flowing along nicely and i think that's the uh, the real benefit of that kind of a system and oh you absolutely know, pbta pbta can be pretty system oriented um you know, just because just because of the way it discretizes the certain actions of characters, I think that could be very interesting. I don't know exactly how the action economy works in Cult, but uh, there's definitely some some versions of it out there that are very can get pretty crunchy. You know, well, like I said, we've only had the one se uh, session so far, and uh, thus far it's been pretty uh, fluffy. So, I, like I said, I enjoy a nice fluffy. Yeah, as it were. Cool, Chig. Well, we'll definitely have to get a, another game update in the future and talk to you more about Cult. Oh, absolutely. But uh, with that, let's move on over to our gaming and World of Darkness news. All right, Chig. So PAX West just uh, just happened last weekend, and there's a big announcement there, actually. Um, there's going to be a new uh, streamed game called seattle by night being done by penny arcade 
uh, which is very interesting. It's going to be set in the same shared universe as Bloodlines 2 and L.A. by Night. So uh, pretty exciting news for uh, White Wolf right there. Get another big name uh, group on board to uh, do some cool actual play. I'm sure as listeners of the show will know, I'm not super big on the actual play. Uh, not my cup of tea, but uh, you know, good for good for the uh, community to have this uh, this edition. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not really too into actual plays either. That's one of the reasons why here on Darker Days, we only do actual play episodes every once in a while. It's actually very difficult for us to uh, edit them. It takes a very long time, um, as opposed to like uh, with PATV or with Geek and Sundry. They have like actual people being paid to uh, do the lighting, to the editing, because uh, they actually have like video games, uh, oh, video games, um, videotaped actual play live games videotaped what are you a <laughs> hundred yeah man i don't know i'm just stream but games. i mean c- correct me if i'm wrong again not my cup mm-hmm. of tea but aren't uh aren't most of the bigger more popular games all done in person oh yes yes they're so done in person. They're, they're all sitting around a singular table that is not something yeah. that we here at darker days can do as i'm sure you have uh heard in the past none of us live remotely near another one so <laughs> Yeah. I'm in Texas. Mike's in Massachusetts. Chris, as you may have noticed from his uh, uh, his accent, is uh, a foreigner. He is from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, Chig. We don't hold it against him. It's just a fact. I know. I know. And then, of course, Pete's uh, down in Australia. Yeah, we're all over the place. Yeah. Um, all over all over the country. So um, countries, countries. Yeah, all over the world. So anyway, I was just kind of bringing that up for why we don't do it too too much, but. I can definitely tell you that um, there's a lot of interest from gaming companies to get these kinds of uh, big name live games and streams going because they actually bring in a lot of like new people interested in the games, uh, gets them excited and kind of shows them how to play as opposed to us on the podcast. We kind of more tell you how to play. We only we don't have that many actual play examples. Um, Yes, we are horrible storytellers. We tell, not show. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, um, oh, what's the name of the guy that does uh, Evil Hat and uh, and Fate? Uh, Fred uh, Hicks. Fred Hicks. Yep. Yeah, he actually brought up that uh, it actually is a lot more cost effective for them to invest in people doing like streamed games, live games, and stuff on the internet than actually going to conventions now and going to like Gen Con and stuff. And Onyx Path also recently had a uh, a new partnership with people doing the Chicago by Night live stream, uh, which we'll definitely put a link to in the show notes. There are definitely some cool peeps. That's uh, Near Dark Studios that's doing that. Um, so a lot, yeah, a lot of really exciting stuff, and just kind of shows you how much things have changed just in like the uh, well, like the ten years that we've been doing Darker Days. Yeah, it's uh, it's much uh, more cost effective rather uh, to have. Uh, people play your games than it is to box up a whole lot of product and ship it across the world to a convention that you show up to for several days. Yep, exactly. Especially, especially since uh, once it becomes popular, assuming it becomes popular, it serves as a great commercial for your product. Yep. Drive sales. And since, you know, this is the gaming industry, it is an industry, got to have sales. 
And speaking of Onyx Path, actually, they just put out in print a pretty cool book called The Book of Oblivion for Wraith 20. Uh, definitely looks awesome and includes a lot of new rules for shadows, specters, as well as a really comprehensive overview of uh, the many kingdoms of the Shadowlands. Now, when you say the many kingdoms of the Shadowlands, what kingdoms are you talking about? Because I know that in the past they've dropped these hints and, you know, intimations and listed off names of various kingdoms that have never gotten a write-up. Are any of those included here? So the list they included, I actually don't remember what many of these are, is the Dark Kingdoms of Flint. Okay, so Flint, I believe, was the Native American Dark Kingdom that uh, Stygia usurped or overtook or... Hmm, could be. Yeah, there's I'm there's the Dark Kingdom, sure. Dark Kingdom of Gold, which I don't remember. Um, I think that's South america uh could be could be yeah ivory yeah, uh, dark kingdom of gold is uh south america all right there's ivory which i'm pretty sure is africa uh that's yeah that's definitely africa obsidian which i also Wait. don't know where's there a lot of volcanoes uh no obsidian is uh the original dark kingdom of the americas mm. and north okay. america had the islands of flint okay and the Dark Kingdom of Swar, which I have no idea which that one is. Uh, Swar, the City of Delights, is the Indian Kingdom of the Dead. Oh, interesting. Nice. By which I mean you know, India, not Native America. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. The Indian subcontinent. Yes. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other necropoli, the Mirrorlands, and uh, other good stuff in there. So I actually really want to check this one out. This is a, seems like it's a cool expansion and a lot of great setting information for Wraith the Oblivion. But not the Dark Kingdom of Sand. That would have been a really nice way to tie in uh, uh, Mummy. It would have been. Um, I wonder if uh, the Mummy Player's Guide had a lot. Of, oh, of course, Mummy the Resurrection had a lot of information on uh, Dark Kingdom of Sand, but I wonder if the, um, the Player's Guide also had some, some good information in there. Um, the two books that were produced for that line, I possess one, <laughs> and it is mm -hmm. not the player's guide. So I yeah, I used to have I used to have the player's guide, but then I sold it off, which was a uh, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. But well, good news, you can get that on Drive Through RPG. Yes, I can. Our affiliate link. Put that Indeed. in the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but anyway, Jake, let's get on to our main topic of this episode, which is, of course, Project Twilight. All right, Jake, so today we're going to talk about the 1995 Werewolf the Apocalypse book, Project Twilight, a source book dealing with U.S. government agencies that have learned of the existence of monsters. Yeah, um, when you said that this was a Werewolf the Apocalypse game, I had to go get my, my book back off the shelf because, I mean, aside from it saying on the back cover, Werewolf the Apocalypse, nothing about this is very werewolfy. No. The cover is a different color. It's... It's not, you know, it doesn't say werewolf anywhere except for that one little icon on the back. It it mentions werewolves a lot, which is nice. And there's a dead werewolf on the front cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It is uh it is a bit of a strange matchup, right? So this came out during the year of the uh, hunter, which was nineteen ninety-five. So there were five books that came out. There was The Inquisition, which they uh linked to Vampire. There was Halls of the Arcanum, which they linked to uh Mage the Ascension. We had Quick in the dead yeah quick in the dead for yep. uh wraith which covered the wraith. um uh the sons of tertullian the um bene ooh, i can't remember their names but very uh the orphic circle uh the benandanti yes so various um 
uh, mediums and uh, organizations that dealt with the dead. And then, of course, autumn people linked to Changeling the Dreaming. And then they also had all these government agencies. They had to put in with some game line, so they wound up with uh, with Werewolf. Um, now, it's actually not that odd of a matchup, right? The um, uh, Werewolves have many mon monkey-wrenching um uh, actions, acts, raids, and such against uh, Pentex and other corporations, which, of course, the federal government may get involved with investigating. So it does make sense in that regard. However, as you'll notice as we kind of go through this book, there's a lot of times where the source book says that like these agencies don't really know about the Guru. They have very little information. And as such, it's it's a little strange that it's the the FBI and the NSA get so focused on vampires and mages when this is billed as ostensibly a werewolf source book. But we can get into that. Yeah, a little honestly, later. if this had if this had come out a few years later, this would have just been a general world of darkness book. Yeah, it's a little surprising that it wasn't general world of darkness uh, right now because they still they had a couple of these like um uh well midnight circus was now but world of darkness combat i think was out in 1994 uh year before so they already had that kind of generic line already started uh so maybe it could have been but i think part of the reason why this got linked to a a specific game line actually kind of goes back to the history of it and how these different ideas um kind of coalesced so why don't you, we kind of take a step back and actually look at the history of where the different u.s government agencies were first described in the world of darkness and how that kind of changed over time. What do you think? Great plan. Okay. So before Project Twilight, uh, government vampire hunters actually appeared originally in Vampire the Masquerade First Edition and also in uh, Hunters Hunted. So those came out in 1991 and 1992, respectively. In Vampire First Edition, the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, for any of our non-US uh, listeners, uh, the NSA, or National Security Agency. I'm pretty sure that stands for no such agency. Well, some people would say that. And then also the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, uh, were all uh, government agencies, U.S. government agencies, that were mentioned to be investigating and even hunting vampires. Well, I mean, hunting uh, means different things to different groups. Uh, while the FBI and the NSA were actively investigating groups of serial killers, uh, the groups like the CDC uh, were primarily trying to figure out this weird infection vector for random bloodborne diseases. So there weren't a lot of, you know, CDC spec ops troops machine gunning through uh, vampire lesions or anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think the CDC is, uh, while not really described very well in uh, any of these game, uh, any of these books, is actually probably one of the most interesting and unique ideas that was introduced. Um, you know, I think this is kind of um, uh, what was that? What was that British vampire show uh, Ultraviolet? Weren't they part of like a yes. uh, a kind of medical branch of the uh, like maybe even the NHS um, in the UK? And they have kind of a similar idea of them investigating like infections and bloodborne diseases. Didn't watch all. Oh, Violet. okay. Well, it's been a while for me. Um, uh, I saw the movie and it was horrible. Um, <laughs> so, it was also and completely unrelated. unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, you know, having this government agency that just kind of stumbles upon the supernatural through just like uh, medical data. 
could be a really interesting story, which unfortunately these books don't play around with too much, but you know, the scope is also a little limited. No, I mean, these books do not uh, go into that in any great detail, but uh, uh, since this is a werewolf book, uh, the werewolf being werewolfism, I guess, lycanthropy, whatever you want to call it, uh, being a guru is, uh, you know, a genetic thing mm-hmm. as much as anything else in the world of darkness. So um, later werewolf books, and I'm thinking of uh, the book of the weaver here, did introduce uh, various groups uh, who were hunting werewolves based on genetic markers. Interesting. Interesting. And trying to trying to find a cure for their condition. Very interesting. Hmm. I'll have to check that one out. I actually do have Book of the Weaver, so uh, I'll flip through that. If you haven't read the Book of the Weaver, you really should. It is a fantastic book. Nice, nice. That's good to hear. But back to Hunter's Hunt, or back to Project Twilight. All right, cool. So, yeah, so after, uh, we're, uh, sorry, Vampire First Edition, we also had Hunter's Hunted, which introduced the FBI Special Affairs Division. So sad. Yeah, S-A-D, sad. Um, so, yeah, they were introduced, and in this, they're actually a secret division of the, uh, the Bureau, uh, consisting of five agents and a director. Yeah, because the X-Files had two agents and a director. So they had to have three spares in case those two got, you know, offed. But Chig, remember, the X-Files came out in 1993. This book came out in 1992. Boom. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe Chris Carter. They ripped it off in the past. Yeah, maybe Chris Carter. (laughs) Retroactively. (laughs) uh, He pulled a nightlife (laughs) and (laughs) built a time machine to rip off hunters haunted no um i think they just wanted to keep it like a small little division not nothing too extreme and they also made these guys uh the sad hellbent on not only on investigating the supernatural but also rooting out so-called subversives in society such as leftists feminists and role-playing gamers yeah the uh the sad was not played entirely for laughs in hunters hunted but uh there was there was a bit of you know ribbing going on there yeah a lot of well, a bit of a callback to cointel pro but also kind of making fun of the situation a little bit um the book also included some short write-ups on the nsa whose uh three agents were investigating vampires and the paranormal but uh their loyalties became split amongst the camarilla the sabbat and the american people and uh, the book also introduced dr marissa fletcher who is that CDC researcher looking into strange transmission of bloodborne viruses? And then I also want to bring up that uh, World of the Apocalypse First Edition also discusses uh, government agencies briefly in the back uh, antagonist section, stating that they are largely unaware of the Guru, although they have recently been gathering new information as their focus shifts more towards internal threats. Pretty interesting stuff. So. In my opinion, a, a missed opportunity here uh, was to have the Parks Department in the United <laughs> States uh, aware of or investigating rumors of uh, werewolves. Because traditionally, uh, a lot of uh, werewolf uh, cairns are in you know, the wilderness, the wild places that are, uh, in the United States at least, a lot of our wildernesses are uh, protected by the uh, Parks Department. So I think that's a a missed opportunity. And there's a lot of, uh, well, there's at least two uh, character archetypes in the back of uh, 
various werewolf books that say, oh yeah, you're a park ranger or you mm. work for the parks department. So Chig, I think there should be, uh, we should write an adventure where insidious yeah. werewolf infiltration of the U S parks department. No, 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 no. It goes all the way. It goes all the way back to uh, Teddy Roosevelt who, uh, you know, created the parks department in the first national park and historically claimed to have seen a werewolf. Wait, is that true? That is a true statement. Really? A hundred percent true. Man, I got to look into that. That's uh, I, I never knew that Teddy Roosevelt claimed to have seen a werewolf. I know he fought a bear. Teddy Roosevelt werewolf kinfolk. Oh my gosh. But Chig, <laughs> we need to write an adventure where you play as New York City DPW workers who find out about werewolves in Central Park. Come on. Come on. Come on. Wasn't that just our our uh our suggestion for the uh technocracy book? Yeah, that too. The, yeah, the uh, void engineer cleaners. Yeah. Yep. The void engineers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, except we'd be regular Joes, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, we're taking out the trash one day. Oh, there's a bone gnar. What are we gonna do? Could be fun, Chig. Could be fun. Anyway, Chig, I was wondering, um, is there anything about government agencies in Mage First Edition? Because my book is not available to me right now. I couldn't check. Um, in the book itself, um, not that I recall. Uh, first Edition tended to be less focused on uh, what was happening on Earth. Uh, now, First Edition Mage uh, did get a Year of the Hunter book. Uh, so while werewolves and vampires were being chased down in the streets and clubs by shadowy government agencies, uh, mages were left to deal with, to deal with, you know, in addition to the OG shadowy cabal that is the technocracy, uh, a group of hunters known as the Arcanum, Whoa. uh, detailed in 1995's Halls of the Arcanum, this group of, um, dreamers and philosophers, they uh they they hunt down esoteric lore and study ancient truths to um yeah so the arcanum aren't very good at hunting uh they're a pretty direct rip um homage they're a direct homage to uh the watchers from Highlander the series and the other watchers from Buffy and the Talmasca from Anne Rice's vampire novels, off of which I believe the Watchers from Buffy are based. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They watch and record, but they never interfere. Yeah, so um, they're definitely a group that is out there. And um, if there's any other supernatural uh, TV show fans out there, they're also a direct influence on the uh, the men of letters who can provide information to other groups of hunters that are actually better at you know hunting things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so yeah. they got that going. Yeah, for Yeah, the Arcanum are pretty cool though. Um, they aren't really great at like being hunters, and it's a little weird that they're in the Year of the Hunter series, but um, they're a great group for uh different different types of monsters to interact with you know in um in ascension night we put in some uh like ways to continue the story basically and one of those was actually that you could try to make contact with the arcanum uh because they had a they had a chapter house north of london i don't remember specifically where um but of course the characters would be running off of old information they also the arcanum doesn't really want to be contacted usually so that would be a pretty interesting adventure right there uh just trying to make contact to maybe fence some magical goods or something like that 
Yeah, the the Arcanum are the uh, the voyeurs of the hunter world. They like to watch, but they don't like to get their hands dirty. Um, they'll collect all of the the bits and pieces, you know, the magical artifacts that shouldn't be out there in the world, and they'll they'll store them safely in a uh, you know a, a warded safe deposit vault somewhere deep under the you know the their chapter house there. But uh, they're not going to go out and actually do much. They do some things. They have kind of like archaeologists and those kind of like pulp adventurers. Um, we can cover the book sometime. It's actually got some really funky ideas in it uh, to make them much more mysterious and maybe even a little bit dangerous. Um, but that'll be uh, that could be something for another time. If you want to hear a similar deep dive into hunter groups like we're doing today for Project Twilight, just let us know and uh, we'll definitely put it on the calendar. But anyway. Uh, I also did check through Wraith and Changeling first editions, and they make no mention of the U.S. government, uh, which, of course, brings us finally to 1995's Project Twilight. So a lot of people think of this as the X-Files source book, uh, but you can see that many ideas about the U.S. government agencies were developed long before the X-Files was released in 1993. Uh, so is Project Twilight a source book influenced by the popularity of the X-Files? Yes, it absolutely was. 100%. I mean, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely got a lot of similar themes. Um, Project Twilight retcons uh, significant previous information about the FBI, Special Affairs Division, and the NSA, uh, creating a more dynamic play experience and a bit more interesting variety between the different, uh, different agencies and different play styles. So Project Twilight was written by Chris Howard, uh, who's a writer I wasn't very familiar with until uh, I started to research this book. He wrote for numerous werewolf and changeling source books between 1993 and 2001, including Rage Across Egypt, Cairns, Places of Power, Midnight Circus, the classic, Nobles, the Shining Host, and Freak Legion. So, you know, like a standard World of Darkness fair, a lot of, a bit of a, a little all over the place in quality. Yeah, that's a very mixed bag of writing credits. Um... There's something good in all of those books, but uh, there's also a lot of not so great as well. Listeners, please do not ask uh, for specifics of what is good in The Shining Host. I'm sure there's something in there. I just can't think of it right now. That's harsh. That's real harsh. It's, yeah. Project Twilight, I think, is one of the stronger books that he worked on. And we'll kind of get into that uh, as we start this review. So Project Twilight provides a... Uh, you know, pretty pretty detailed overview of the FBI Special Affairs Division and supernatural investigations done by the NSA. It also has uh, short write-ups for the DEA, which is the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control that we mentioned before, and also, finally, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, um, and also, like, the slimmest paragraph on the Department of Defense the slimmest like maybe three sentences now to be fair if you're playing a standard world of darkness game and you're involving the department of defense you have gone so far afield so far outside the general remit of a world of darkness game that you should just be doing this all by yourself because this is this is not something that PCs are reg should regularly be interfacing with. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, Chig. And maybe this is part of the influence of the X-Files bringing in the uh, the DOD uh, into this. But yeah, usually World of Darkness games and uh, you know Chronicles of Darkness as well. This has a lot of this book has a lot of good ideas for Chronicles of Darkness. Um, usually it's a bit more street level, right? So down at the street level, the DEA, it makes sense. Um, there's a lot of uh, possibilities for them to be investigating uh, movement of certain illicit goods, uh, whether it be drugs, maybe they get involved in actually finding shipments of blood and that sort of thing. Um, the FBI does a lot of uh, investigation into uh, crimes in the United States that cross state lines and happen in multiple states, which can definitely uh, definitely occur in your games, but also just like hostage situations or um, like serial organized crime, crime and organized crime, which again happens uh, a lot in World of Darkness games and also usually crosses state lines. Um, yeah, so those make a lot of sense. The NSA is well, you know, we'll get to the NSA later. Let's let's actually just kind of dive in to to the FBI because I think that really sets the tone for a lot of the book, which is good because it is the majority of the book. Yeah, moving on, Chig. Um, yeah, let's just dive into the uh, FBI Special Affairs Division. So the SAD has been retconned from its previous description in Hunters Hunted. Now it was created as a more altruistic and much less secretive division within the FBI, uh, forming after a lone FBI agent encountered a vampire. And Chig, man, why is it always a vampire? Um, because that is and was White Wolf's bread and butter. Um, I read a statistic or heard somebody say that uh, in the old world of darkness, and I'm not sure if this translates over to the Chronicles of Darkness uh, game lines as well, uh, Vampire outsold every other uh, game line combined. If you're going to tie anything into any game line, Vampire is the one that most people play. I definitely believe that because uh, Vampire, of course, had the most books published for it because it was the one, the game line that was out the longest, but it also had a, a higher frequency of books being published, right? The supplement treadmill mm -hmm. back in like 1998 to 2000 was pretty extreme. Like they had a, um, they had 13 clan books come out. They had one come out every single month. In addition to, you know, publishing some like the, uh, the Storyteller's Companion, uh, Storyteller's Handbook, and all these other support supplements as well. So there was probably like maybe 20 plus vampire books coming out during that like peak time right there, as opposed to maybe like a werewolf book every other month. So yeah, yeah, I definitely believe that. And I can kind of see that. And a changeling book once a year if you were super lucky. Ah, uh, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. That... I mean, I mean, Changeling got put under the uh, the art house line back in 2000. I mean, uh, I believe that there were two books published under the art house line. Oof, man, that's uh, yeah. that's harsh. That's harsh. Say that you vie. got you got water under you the got time of judgment though, right? That was a worth worth the wait. Twenty percent of one book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was not the worst twenty percent though, so that's nice. <laughs> Okay, anyway, getting back to things. So the SAD now consists of several regional sections and has 30 plus agents and many more staff supporting them. So that's a lot bigger than the five agents and one director that we saw before. That is a lot bigger, um, but I'm not sure how big it... I mean, yes, it is, in fact, six times larger, but I'm not sure how big that is compared to the actual whole of the FBI. Like, I don't know how many agents the FBI had 
working for it in 1995 when this book came out? Is that 1%? Is that one half of 1%? So it's interesting that you bring that up, Chig. Today in 2019, there's about 35,000 people working for the FBI. Um, not all of them are agents. That includes some support professionals uh, and intelligence analysts, language specialists, etc. But, you know, 30 people just dedicated to the supernatural, plus maybe, we'll say like 60 people total, is uh, kind of a drop in the bucket, really. Yeah. So this is, you know, rightly so, not the FBI's main uh, focus, even in the world of darkness. Correct. Correct. Unfortunately, while things have changed and, you know, the Special Affairs Division had a much more altruistic beginning of investigating these different occult crimes and other bizarre oddities, uh, things aren't so rosy these days. Uh, the agency has really factionalized between white supremacists, yes, white supremacists under security chief Martin Fisk, and a more centrist, kind of slightly liberal agents under the East Coast director, Marsha Crow. This brings us to one of the really interesting things about this book. Um, you know, there's a lot of really bonkers comic book style logic places of this book and lots of like poorly researched or thought out aspects. But there's also a lot of social commentary. Um, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's kind of cringeworthy. But uh, yeah, we're just going to jump in and discuss it. Not sure if the writers foreseeing the rise of white nationalism within the U.S. government uh, nearly 25 years ago was a good thing or just a sad commentary on things. That's uh, that's just kind of yeesh. Yeah, yeah. I got you, Chig. I mean, kind of. let's do some real talk here. So I feel like it's kind of just a sad commentary on the FBI, you know, back in the 90s, basically. So... The FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, for like non-U.S. listeners, um, it had a system in the 40s to the, like, the 70s that was incredibly effective uh, to combat and catch organized crime. So the FBI was targeting the mafia. It was incredibly effective and really broke up a lot of corruption in the United States when it wasn't being a crooked itself. Uh, you know, you can research like Whitey Bulger and his situation where he became an FBI informant and the FBI basically left him alone to do his own mafia and organized crime stuff. Now, they became incredibly effective against organized crime, but in the 50s to like the 90s, uh, they began using these skills to infiltrate um, domestic terrorists and undesirable groups. So sometimes, you know, the FBI did infiltrate and go against like white supremacist groups and uh, terrorist organizations, but actually more often, Organizations like the Black Panthers or the Communist Party of the United States and Native American movements uh, were targeted by the FBI. Uh, an interesting thing that uh, I'm reading about is that the, uh, the Communist Party of the United States at one point was uh, 50% its membership. 50% FBI F by volume. Yeah, <laughs> FBI or FBI <laughs> informants. So, yeah, pretty, pretty funny. But yeah, the uh, the FBI was uh, was very good at its job until about the early aughts and uh, after the 9-11 uh, attacks in the United States. And this caused them to rapidly restructure to combat, uh, you know, foreign terrorism and resulted in a languishing of programs against homegrown terrorism and hate crimes and the like. So, I mean, the writer obviously did not foresee a lot of like these now historical events for us, but the future to him, a lot of these events happening. But I think he correctly identified a bunch of existing 
as of the 1990s, uh, problematic elements of the FBI. Sad indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it does make this book very interesting to, to go through and see these things. Um, one thing we don't have in here in the show notes is um, the opening fiction. I actually, I rarely read opening fiction in World of Darkness books anymore, but I read the entire one of Project Twilight. And it's about a, a, uh, a Black American uh, woman who's a special agent in the Special Affairs Division. And she gets treated terribly in the agency gets no backup she's basically going around on her own investigating these horrific crimes in a town and it's it's just really interesting to see this writer explaining just the uh the terrible situation she's in because of this you know very male dominated organization that she's in and we'll talk about that a little bit more uh when we get to the character creation section actually so yeah this book has a lot of social commentary and we'll bring that up uh, as we go through. So getting back to the Special Affairs Division, um, the SAD structure gives us real air of distrust. But under the current leadership of Director Gerald Osborne, things are pretty stable between all the agents. You know, the, the two, fact, two major factions haven't really made any movements. And there's actually a third uh, faction that I did not mention in here. It's very interesting. They actually tell you in the player-facing portion of the book uh, that the players are probably going to be reading about, like the organization, that there's two Manchurian candidates in the organization. You don't know who. It could be anyone. But it's uh, interesting that they bring up and let players know that there is a rumor going on that like two people are have been have been turned to some supernatural threat. And of course, the ST section spoils everything. Tells you exactly who these two people are. Indeed. So things are pretty stable at the moment, and the SAD stories tend to focus around investigation, and including tackling unsolved cases, you know, sorts of X-Files. A X-ed file, as it were. Mm -hmm. And the book actually gives you some really cool support for this. Um, there's a list of SAD's top 10 most wanted, uh, which includes some pretty awesome ideas. One of the first ones they give you is, it's bizarre, there is a woman called charlotte holmes they don't actually know if that's her name she prefers to just be called holmes but people call her charlotte holmes she mysteriously you get it? appears do, do, do you get it yeah do you get it she mysteriously appears in a tweed jacket and a investigator's hat um out of the uh, victorian period and she she appears to help out law enforcement on unsolved cases and she's just this woman who appears to know way too much about these crimes very bizarre She's a great investigator. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do you get it? Yeah. Because they, 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 do, they do go right ahead and, and spell it out for you that it's, it's Sherlock Holmes. Correct. It's, it's, not, it's not as clever as the author hoped it would no, be. No, it isn't. But it's still... It's, it's a great character. It's, it's a cool an, character. an interesting character. Like, man, what if you just put that into like your Hunter the Vigil game or something? Everyone would just be scratching their head like, is this... Is the storyteller serious right now? Is this really she just on? shows up and gives you the answer and then disappears. What is going on? So, rightly so, the SAD is just like, we just want to know what's going on with this person. Um, but then you have more sadistic threats, such as Lulu Hagen, uh, who is a supposed vampire sending taunting clues, salacious images, messages, and blood vials to the Special Affairs Division, kind of taunting them. It's, uh, yeah, obviously a real threat that this 
supposed vampire uh, knows that they exist and is just trying to mess with them. Yeah. So is that uh, a reference to Mark Reinhagen in the last name? I I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but cool. Sure. Why not? Good for the writer. And then finally, my third and definitely favorite is The Hook. Uh, this is this is the OG Chronicles of Darkness slasher right here. So the hook murders people in campgrounds and has done so for at least a hundred years, but often takes uh, the f- different forms and different methods. So is it a series of multi-generational copycat killers, a uh, physical representation of our collective racial consciousness, a zombie? I don't know. But this dude gives me a lot of ideas for games, a lot of great ideas for one shots or uh, a really just a great antagonist for these kind of FBI agents. Yeah, the hook is a a fun antagonist that you could have in your game, um, be it a one shot or an ongoing, or um, if you're playing a vampire game, hey, maybe he's just a a persona that uh, a gangrel or a Nosferatu adopts when he just wants to go out and screw with people in the woods. Who can say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it could be anything. I really like it just being its own unique weird thing. Oh, I like it being its own unique weird thing too, but... There's nothing stopping, you know, your your big bulky Nosferatu from putting on a uh, hockey mask and uh, going and menacing some uh, some sex having teens out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And the section finishes off with a map of the main SAD offices and some info on various personalities in the division. Um, but when you get to the storyteller section, things take kind of a wild left turn. It turns out that Marsha Crow, that director. Uh, that we mentioned is actually a Silver Fang Kingfolk. Martin Fisk, the white supremacist, was part of a Pentex First team. And assistant director Cynthia Forrest has technocracy contacts. Actually, that third one makes a lot of sense. That's actually probably good. There should be there should be some influences of the supernatural here because they'll they'll find out about it, especially like the technocracy, maybe the Camarilla. But being a kinfolk or or an ex-Pentex employee, that sort of thing. I don't know. It just seems a little extreme. Um, yeah, it seems like that's the kind of thing that you would... Uh, well, I mean, okay, let's look at it this way. In the World of Darkness, Pentex is a like an umbrella corporation that has a whole lot of you know subsidiaries. In fact, there's a book called Subsidiaries, The Guide to Pentex. And m- at least one of their subsidiaries is a, uh, a weapons manufacturer. So... Even in the real world, there is quite a bit of, uh, you know, there's there's the the public <clears throat> public private partnership, and there's a lot of you know bleed over mm. uh, between the two. So it doesn't it doesn't really make no sense or stand out too much to say that yeah, this guy used to work for this military contractor, and now he has a job in the intelligence agency. There's no there's no major thing sticking out saying that that would never happen. Mm. No, definitely. But him being like a um, ah man, I have to go look through the book. But I think they like did things to him and he's got like genetic modifications. Um, maybe a cyber. He arm. has worm taint and he okay, has a bane cool. fetish that lets him see uh, Garu in the penumbra, I think is what it said. 
Oh yeah, that's so right. He's, that's he's right. good. Yeah, at, so he's got like some weird magical. Yeah, artifacts. he does not care for for the guru, which you know makes his the fact that he has a uh, not a subordinate but a co-worker, co-equal worker uh, who is a Silverfang kinfolk. You know that, that adds a little bit of tension there, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting, um, but a lot of great ideas. And then uh, moving on from the the special affairs division, we also have the National Security Agency, don't we, Chig? Uh, yeah, the the book Project Twilight devotes very nearly six full pages to the National Security Agency, uh, an agency which at the time of publishing uh, was still seen by many in the government conspiracy field as the shadowy arm of the new world order within our own government. Yeah, it was really weird reading through the NSA section because, like, obviously, in in 2019, the current year, we know that they are doing like certain, you know, spying and data collection and all that. But they made it seem like no one knows anything about the NSA. It's all completely mysterious. And like, I don't know, maybe that was the case in 1995. I was a kid. I don't really um, remember. Yeah, in but in like, 1995, the NSA was you know a for real thing that existed, but it was yeah. it was not talked about. It was a it was the spooks of the spooks um really yeah so, so you I'm, couldn't just like I'm, wikipedia I'm, it like you can today i'm a little older than you as uh listeners may have may have uh <laughs> gathered. uh in 1995 yeah. i was in high school so i'm not you know saying that i was an, a, a full-on adult and i had you know strong opinions about things you know or whatever or you know great experience in the uh intelligence field um but yeah the nsa was a thing that existed and it would just it was not talked about it was it was a, a a known secret, a known unknown, as it were. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that puts this chapter in a lot better context. So I appreciate that. Uh, there, I'm sure that we have older listeners who are even older than I, the ancient man among the uh, <laughs> among the hosts, who might have you know even more information about it and greater you know recollection of the way things stood in the year of our Lord 1995. But as I recall, um, this was. It wasn't really pre-internet, but it was definitely pre-Wikipedia. It was before, I believe, even the Freedom of Information Act. So, uh, yes, mm. the NSA is a thing that existed, but it was the shadowy government agency. Uh, they were they were the black budget thing, and what they did, no one was really super sure of outside of the NSA and you know various you know congressional committees. Well, they still are pretty black budget, yeah. so yeah, it, it, interesting. It, it was not any better pre nine eleven. So, long story short, the NSA in the world of darkness uh, serves as a kind of internal affairs division amongst the various um, investigative bodies, the CIA, the FBI, and so forth. Um, uh, they and in the world of darkness, they have a group that uh, makes sure that America is not under the sway of any supernatural entities. Um, this group has failed miserably. Uh, the DIB, mm-hmm. the Domestic Intelligence Bureau, which is the arm of the NSA tasked with the ridding out of supernatural influence mentioned earlier, uh, has itself long been compromised by various groups of supernaturals uh, and has fallen to infighting. Uh, which, okay, on the surface makes sense. 
um, given that there are so many supernatural uh, groups within the world of darkness who would want to uh, who'd want to compromise the U.S. government. Um, but it's kind of odd, uh, given that in the storyteller section of this book, um, it tells you that mostly this group is technocrats. They are the NWO, the New World Order. So, hey, those conspiracy theorists who said that we were uh, being infiltrated by agents of the New World Order, 100% correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's one sub-faction of the DIB that is on good terms with the Glasswalker werewolves. Um, another sub-faction is led by somebody who has been uh, turned by the Camarilla. And there's a third faction that uh, has been uh, suborned by uh, the Sabbat. And, I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's kind of interesting. You know, it's very different than the uh, the Special Affairs Division. And it brings up that because everything's so shadowy, people don't talk about it, it's very secretive. Uh, there's a lot of, there's not just tension between the different factions there's outright murder going on as people try to fight over the um uh basically resources and direction that uh this organization takes and that makes it just a it really ramps up the the danger of a nsa style chronicle and i think it's also interesting that they they took this and they expanded it from just like the three agents that were mentioned in in hunters hunted right because now there's so many different agents involved whether you know slightly influenced or being like directly possessed by by werewolves vampires and mages uh i just think it it makes it a just a lot more interesting you know and obviously as i mentioned very different than the fbi portion of the book yeah it's it's less um x-files and more alias right yeah good point good point yeah it's very much um yeah, the X-Files little tagline was trust no one, but they had each other, they had friends, they had, you know, people that they could turn to. Uh, Alias was was much less that. It's much who can you trust, if anyone. And the answer turns out to be very few people. <laughs> so, yeah, if you are a, uh, a standard mundane human who happens to be in the NSA, you are 100% a pawn. Mm. Probably mm. of the technocracy. Yep. Uh, that said, Probably. kudos to the writers for for tying in the Glasswalkers, uh, the Techno Shaman werewolves. Don't really get enough love outside of the usual werewolf source books, and honestly, they're kind of crapped on in those source books as well as being too weaver tainted. Um, the biggest group that I think was missing from the list of who's who in the supernatural world in the NSA uh, here would have been the Nosferatu. Uh, though at this point in the game line development, they might not yet have been the Kindred, Kindred Information Bureau. Uh, so their omission is understandable. Uh, they kind of were at this point. You know, the uh, I think the first edition Nasratu clan book was already out at this point. Yeah, so. I wasn't sure if that came out before or after because I don't remember if they did them in alphabetical yeah. order or what? I think it was 93 because okay. they did the Camarilla ones first. Yeah, that, that does um, make sense. So it came out pretty early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so NSA is pretty interesting. The only other one that I want to mention is that there's like a half a page of text about the CIA, but there's also a full one page flowchart 
by Bob Schnoblin about the uh, what he knows about the supernatural world. And it is just a fun image to go through. The satanic linking, conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, they actually reprinted that in Hunters Hunted too, because, oh. you know, it's just a classic. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The uh, the King Ventrues linked to the Queen of England, the Technogarchy, um, the, the Star Trek, the fans. Masons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're there. And of course, the home shopping network, the most devious of them all. Uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. So it, it'll show you a nice little. Conspiracy theorist pyramid kind of thing of power. Um which is a thing that, you know, was in several books that uh, Teenage Chig would have read. So, yeah, I was a big door. Yep. Sur- surprising everybody who's listening, I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so let's kind of start wrapping up this episode. Um, so we're not going to do a character creation for this book, um, but we did want to just talk about the character creation rules a little bit. They're very straightforward if you know any classic World of Darkness systems. But there's actually a few uh, interesting tidbits that they've they've made, little changes and that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing that I want to point out that I I really liked um, in the character creation section was that uh, all government employees get the backgrounds, allies, influence, and resources, uh, because that's something that players uh, might overlook and or not want to spend points on. Uh, but every government employee can call for backup. They can tell local sheriffs to back down and they get a a paycheck from the government twice a month. So it makes sense that they would have those backgrounds. Yep, that's right. And also, you probably noticed in the character creation that it says you get these for free and then you get to spend three background points. It's not one of those weird things where it's like, uh, here's your five background points, but make sure you buy these seven things or else your character doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that they could have used in more books that we've covered, (laughs) like like Demon Hunter X. And Kindred of the East. Oh my gosh. For instance, to uh, name yeah. two. <laughs> two that we recently talked about. In addition to that, there's also a bunch of Numina, which are, of course, the uh, sort of like psychic powers of mortals in the classic world of darkness. Because um, they always like to put these into mortal source books, like um, obviously things like Sorcerer, but also these Year of the Hunter books as well. So, Chig, first on the list, we have Animal Psy. Why do they have Animal Psy in this book, Jay? They have Animal Psy in this book because it is nominally a werewolf source book. And if you were playing a, a werewolf kinfolk, who would be, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the, the beta group, the step down, the not quite real super duper werewolf, but, you know, so you're related to werewolf. So you're playing, uh, say, an FBI agent who happens to be a, I don't know, Bonar kinfolk, because that's the first group that I could think of. Um, sure. You can take Animal Psy, and then you can talk to the other werewolf kinfolk who are not humans, because, you know, werewolves are half human, half wolf, all were. Mm-hmm. So if you have Animal Psy, you can talk to dogs and wolves and at higher level birds and uh reptiles so it's a thing yeah it's a thing uh, it seems a little out of place but uh, you bring up a good point shig about why it could be applicable that is the um, only reason yeah. i could think of for it to be a yeah. thing that exists yeah it, it's a stretch um the second power uh, we of course have pyrokinesis so you know they just wanted an option to 
make fires and do ag damage. Did you know um, that pyrokinesis is a term that was invented by Stephen King? Really? Yep. For uh, for Carrie? For Firestarter. Or fire? Wait, no. Firestarter? Yeah. Which one's Carrie? Doesn't she have like firing Carrie? No, she just has um, telekinesis. Oh my bad. Uh, maybe I should maybe I should read that book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have psychometry, which is uh, reading mental impressions of past events. You know, touching objects, getting visions, that sort of thing. So okay, it's That's great cool. for investigation. Yeah, great for investigation. A really cool thing. Um, and you can kind of play with that with like uh, like in the Hannibal TV show. You know, psychometry is a good uh, representation of the uh, investigatory powers of that one main character i can't remember the name of will will yeah there we go and then we have my favorite power which is anti-psi this one's actually really cool your agent is a blank of sorts uh causing suppression of supernatural effects on a lot of psychic powers in a radius and it's also one of the few effective counter spells or counter effects to mage magic um and i think it's really interesting you know you kind of have to wonder uh, why, if you've ever seen the X-Files, Scully, the very skeptic character, uh, never like sees any of these supernatural events. They never happen to her or around her, and it usually occurs uh, to Mulder, her partner. So maybe she was an anti-Psy the entire time. It would make sense. It would. Now, as you mentioned earlier, um, the mm-hmm. opening fiction has a, a protagonist who is a uh, black... I'm sorry, an African-American woman who is an agent of the FBI. And the fact that she is African-American and a woman uh, is kind of held against her because as of the time of the writing of this book, uh, many U.S. government agencies, not just the FBI, but many were considered to be very strongly oriented toward straight, white, nominally Christian men. Uh, as such, this book has two of flaw- two flaws, as in merits and flaws, uh, in the character creation system. It has one flaw, worth one point, called female. It has another flaw, worth one point, called minority. So, yes, those flaws exist because as it is stated underneath in in the description of those flaws, the agencies are very male dominated. There is in there is a glass ceiling. Uh, If you are not a straight white dude with, you know, the traditional government issue haircut, you're probably not going to get along as well uh, in those agencies. They will look down upon you your co-workers will and that you will be passed up for uh advancement opportunities uh it is a horrible thing that happens in the game and in the real world uh but yes it is it is represented here with social flaws i mean it's really unfortunate that they're called flaws in this game i'm i'm happy that the writer recognized um that you know people that are you know persons of color or women that are in these agencies and do succeed probably are noticeably more skilled than than some of their counterparts um and i think that's a really interesting take it's just you know unfortunate that they're called flaws instead of 
just like some other bonus that's worked in. That's the World of Darkness nomenclature. If they weren't listed at, under, mm-hmm. you know, flaws, then where else would you put them? Uh, bonus freebie points or something. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, it's not really necessary um, to have these, but I just thought it was, it's again, just like an interesting social commentary from the 1990s Absolutely. by Chris Howard, the author. Um, and just kind of something interesting to bring up. Uh, I can tell you that reading through Hunter's Hunter 2, they did not keep these merits and flaws in. <laughs> they they took those out. Because um, it's just, it's not a good look, unfortunately. You know, if you're just skimming through, you'll be like, wait, what? And then you read the description. You're like, oh, okay, I understand what's going on here. Yeah, the, um, the description yeah. does make it uh, make it a little better. A little bit, a little bit. All right. And, you know, finishing off the book, let's talk about the St. Clair contract, the uh, the adventure in the back. Oh, man. Speaking of oh, social issues. Goodness. Ooh, boy, boy, boy. <laughs> okay. All right. This adventure starts off by saying in the second paragraph, quote, this is a dark piece and deals with difficult social issues, namely spousal abuse and child abuse. The storyteller is encouraged to give these issues the weight and consciousness they deserve. End quote. Okay, all right. So that's already that's already a lot. Yeah, it's, it's already going to turn off a lot of people. Heavy um, stuff. Yeah, it's just some really heavy stuff. But don't worry, Chig. As you keep reading the adventure, there is a lot more content to to worry about here. So uh, there's teen prostitution. Uh, there's white supremacists. There's school shootings, and basically every other despicable element of humanity crammed into seven days in a small upstate New York town. So, yeah, yeah, this okay. So let's go ahead and 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 note that this came out in 1995, and Correct. while while yes, school shootings had occurred in the United States before then, uh, for my generation at least, uh, the I don't want to call it a trend, but um, the first big noticeable newsworthy school shooting uh that i can remember happening uh was columbine which was four years after this book came out so while yes uh even pre that a school shooting would have been a horrific awful thing it is not something that was so much in the zeitgeist as something that you should not put in a game. Are you following me? It it is a bad thing, but it is not something yet that was forbidden. Right. I mean, it's still probably something we should talk about in games and all of that. If, if your group is okay with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, thinking back, obviously Columbine is like a, a, the big zeitgeist. There was a, there's a really horrible major one in the eighties in Canada, actually. That was at a, uh, a technical university. And there was there was also one I think it was at like a Texas university. Um, oh yeah, that it happened was, in the early nineties. A, a gun tower shooter. At yeah, the that's A&M. the one I was thinking of. Um, but I mean, even as I mean, it's not something that I'm sure if we keep looking, we can find another one and another one, another one, another right. one. But uh, the first the first one that I'm aware of uh, took place in January of 1979 uh, at a Cleveland elementary school. So, oof, yeah, yeah, not good. And again, these aren't 
all of these topics are things that you can cover in your game if your uh, your players are comfortable with it. If you know about it, maybe you talk about content warnings beforehand. Of course, maybe you have an X card on the table. However, this might need some editing for some groups because this <laughs> Chris Howard shoved in every horrible thing possible into this little town uh, all in the course of just, just this one adventure. And it might be too much. Yeah, and... I'm, I'm really not sure that this adventure adds a whole lot to the book as a whole um it's it's well written the structure is great um but i think maybe a better use of the page count might have been a how to write adventures for this type of group rather than an example yeah yeah i think that's a good point I think that's a good point. Or maybe just like a couple of short like cases and that's sure sort of could be good. Sure. Something, you know, some yeah. uh, a variety rather than, you know, here's the horror that befalls this one tiny town that your agents are dispatched to deal with. Now, as Chig mentioned, there's actually a very cool structure to this uh, adventure. It's kind of like Warhammer Fantasy Role Plays, Rough Night at Three Feathers, where certain events trigger at certain times. And if the agents are there, they see it. If not, they kind of hear about it later on or maybe have to deal with the outfall they haven't, uh, they haven't covered, which is actually pretty neat and a, uh, a cool structure for a lot of games. So in that regard, there might be some benefits just reading through this and kind of seeing what ideas you can come up with. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it for uh, for Project Twilight. Now, Chig, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about a little bit of uh, some of the books that came beyond Project Twilight. But, you know, what's your what's your vibe on this book? How do you feel about it? Does it pass the Chup test? And I mean, Chig, would you would you play a Project Twilight game? Um, the book itself is uh, at this point, 24 years in, very dated. Um mm-hmm. Would I play a Project Twilight game? I would honestly rather play a technocracy game that uh, has you posing mm. as or infiltrating uh, U.S. government agencies. Okay. Because that seems to be kind of how they were leaning in the NSA chapter anyway. But this is also first edition mage where the technocrats were just a faceless mass of badness. So, um, would I play a mortal investigator in the old world of darkness? No, because I'd want to play more than a one shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, good point. Good point. Yeah, cool. All right. I mean, I definitely liked reading through the book, and I think it has some great ideas. Um, would I run Project Twilight? I mean, there's just so many other things to run. So the answer is like, yes, but it's pretty low down on the list. And I'm probably never going to get to it. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's Um, it's a hard pass like some of the things that we've covered in the past. It has it it is a playable game. It seems like it would be very fun to play in, but um, it's not going to be at the top of my list. Yeah, actually, I mean, just, you know, being someone that lives in the United States, reading through this book and just kind of taking those steps back to the 1990s was very interesting. And um, there's probably actually better better reading material in that regard but you know just going through and doing a review for you know this podcast i i enjoyed my time with the project twilight and with that let's just talk about some of the books that came beyond project twilight because they actually went back and they talked about some of these organizations again so there's two other books that i know of that discuss uh the the project twilight organizations um the first one and probably the most significant is Hunter First Contact, which came out in 2002. 
which refreshed all of the Year of the Hunter organizations. Um, so this source book is of particular interest uh, because it gives you rules and advice for creating your own Twilight agencies. So do you want to create the paranormal arm of the uh, Canadian Security Intelligence Service? You have no idea how badly I want to play uh, a worm-tainted Mountie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you could do that. Uh, do you want to make a special investigative unit of the Cuban... <clears throat> All right, this is a long one. The Cuban Military Counterintelligence Department of the Ministry of the Revolutionary Armed Forces... Yes, Chig, you can do that. There's actually a sample character from the Cuban uh, organization, and he's actually really neat. It's like a cool little addition in there. So I never really got into Hunter the Reckoning, and so never bought this particular source book. Uh, how are the agency creation rules? They're very simple. It's a lot more um, advice, but it does tell you to think about like, okay, do you have a big organization or a small one? Like, what kind of background points would you give um, members of like a small organization as opposed to a big one and you know, stuff like that. Okay, so more more of a guidelines and hard and fast rules, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The book also gives some updates to the FBI uh, Special Affairs Division and gives you hints as to how federal agents may interact with what they call Type 9s, which is their name for the imbued, the imbued hunters. Wait, Type 9? So there's vampires, Type 9. werewolves, mage. Yep. Changelings, rates. That's five. So okay. What are uh, the other uh, okay, we'll we'll count mummies, because there's a mummy book, so that's six. Okay, we'll we'll um, give them mummies. Uh uh Kui Jin, so that's seven, because Kindred of the East was already out. Mm. This came out in two thousand two. Oh, okay, so two thousand two Mummy, the resurrection was already out, so that doesn't count. Uh two thousand two. When did Demon come out. Demon came out after Hunter the Hunter the Reckoning. I know that for a fact. Yeah, but this is this is Hunter First Contact, which came out in 2002. Um, when did Demon the Fallen come out? Uh, that could be number eight right there. That could be number eight. And then Type Nine is the imbued. Boom. Nailed it. I don't think Demon was out. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, Chig. Oh nope. Year, year of the Damned, which would be the Demon, uh, the Fallen Year, was 2002. Boom. Got it. Wait, World of Darkness Mafia was a Year of the Damned book? Why is that? Uh, I think they just wanted to put something into the generic World of Darkness slot. I guess. And they're like, oh, we're already doing a Mafia book. Let's just make that Year of the Damned. Get people to buy it. Damn Mafia. Get those extra, get those extra 25 sales for <laughs> people that want the collection. Sure. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, I guess that, that's yeah. nine. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so the SAD, CIA, and NSA were also updated in Hunters Hunted 2, which came out in 2013. Uh, that was actually one of the V20 books by Onyx Path. And this also had a short introduction for the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, which were never covered which in did not Project exist. Twilight because it did not exist. Yeah, remember. And that's a, a post 9 11 uh, creation. The Department of Homeland yeah. Security is not yet old enough to vote. Nope. Is it? Well, oh, yeah. By, like, a couple of days. Didn't, wasn't it created, like, September 12th or something? Uh, it was created November 25th, 2002. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a lot longer than yep. I remember. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, my memory my memory is failing it's me. It's okay. You were young. Anyway. You were young at the time. 
Yeah, indeed. So unfortunately, all these updates in Hunter Center 2 are woefully short, and you really still need to consult Project Twilight if you want more detailed chronicles or more detailed ideas. Yeah, Hunters Hunted 2 is a great source book for lone hunters and unaffiliated hunting groups more so than it is for organized uh, uh, governmental organizations. Yep, that's correct. That's correct. Fun book, though. Yeah, definitely. And that's pretty much it. So, uh, Jake, do you have anything else you want to say about Project Twilight Hunters in general or anything like that? Um, not off the top of my head, but uh, if anybody has any questions or follow-ups or information they'd like, uh, I'm sure you can contact us. Mike, how can the listeners at home contact us? Well, we do have emails. You can send us an email over at darkdaysradio at gmail. I believe we're also on the Facebook at facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. We're on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. And we're on Instagram, on Tabletop, YouTube, Twitch. And of course, we have a f- super fun Discord channel with links yep. and we got in link the show that. notes. Yeah, you got it. And that's pretty much it. Chig, thanks for another wonderful episode. Really appreciate it. As always, it was my pleasure. And to all the listeners out there, take it easy and good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.